Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. As we open God's word today, we're in week two of a new sermon series entitled More Than a Name, More Than a Name. And what we're doing is we're really studying God's word to discover what it means to be a Christian. Many people in our world today, especially in America, profess to be Christians. Did you know that according to 2019 statistics, 65% of people in America self-identify themselves as Christians? And by that, largely they're saying, because of my upbringing, because of my family, because maybe of my conservative roots, because of my religious leanings, I am a Christian. But claiming to be a Christian and living as a Christian are often two very different things. God, through 1 John chapter 2, begins to write to us today how we can know without a doubt, with absolute certainty, that we are genuinely followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we go throughout the series, I'm asking you to really examine your life, examine your heart, examine where you stand, and really consider, am I truly a follower of Christ, or am I just a cultural Christian? From 1 John chapter 2, here's what we discover. We discover that it's really all about who you know. And here's the question. In your life, do you truly know Jesus Christ? Now, when you see that word know here in the text in just a moment, we're gonna see that word know on many occasions. And the word that John is using for the word know is a word that refers to experience and relationship. Many times we might say we know someone because we met them. In our culture today, you might meet someone and you might learn. I I met a couple just a few minutes ago and I learned that they were here for the first time and I learned where they were from. I learned that they were from Tennessee and they're big Tennessee fans and God can show them grace too, you know? And and, and I'm just kidding for a moment, but the bottom line is you learn facts about people. I learned where they were from and I learned what the young man does for a living and I learned a little bit about their family. And while I learned facts, that does not mean that I know them that I have relationship with them. In our culture today, we can get on social media and we can see pictures and we can understand certain components of people's life and we might know facts about them, but that doesn't mean that we know them. Last week, I gave the illustration about Dr. Jerry Falwell Sr. Of course, he's been in heaven for many years now, but I gave the illustration about knowing him and I shared some personal stories of how I knew him. And the fact is, almost all of us have some sort of knowledge, maybe. Maybe you remember that he preached many years ago, you heard him on TV or you've heard about the school that he started called Liberty University. Most of us know him to an extent, but to know him by experience was to have a relationship with him. And last Sunday, by the time I even left here, there were two or three of you who texted me and said, well, let me tell you about my experience with him. And you told me about your own relationship with him back in the day. The question is this, not do you know about Jesus or know of him, not do you know the historical facts surrounding his life, but do you know him personally? Because ultimately, whether or not you know Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Whether or not you know Jesus makes all the difference in your life. Whether or not you personally know Jesus makes all the difference in your eternity. 
I think about that illustration of knowing someone and my mind goes back to an illustration that I experienced firsthand about four years ago. In fact, four years ago as of this past week. I've shared with some of you the illustration before, but let me just kind of paint the picture for you for just a moment. Four years ago this past week, Pastor Marty and I had the opportunity to take our boys. We both have two sons. They happen to be the same exact age and two of them were just our mission agents a moment ago. We had the opportunity to take them to the east side of the state for a concert. It was a Toby Mac concert. Anybody know who Toby Mac is? Awesome, absolutely. The rest of you don't know? That's okay, we can get you some good music later, okay? So we had a Toby Mac concert we took the boys to and we were so excited about Toby Mac and going to this concert and we paid for our tickets, we got there, we got in our seats and we had a decent view of the stage and everything and, and, and honestly, we just went to watch the show and to, to enjoy, to worship the Lord, spend some time with our boys and it was awesome. And as we're sitting there watching this concert, I'm kind of zooming in, I'm watching the cameras as they're zooming in on different people on the stage. And out of the blue, the camera zoomed in on a guy who, who's, his name is Keith. I think we showed, got a picture here of Keith. And I want you to know, our entire experience that night changed because of one person. As the camera zoomed in on him, first off, I saw that the guy was, was bald and I didn't recognize that. And then I saw from the camera's angle that he had a lot of white in his beard and that threw me off. But the more, I mean, I started watching every time the camera would zoom in on this one guy playing the trumpet, I kept looking and I sat there and I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that's my buddy Keith. So, so, so literally I, I pick, up, pick up my phone, my phone battery's getting low and, and I'm looking like, do I have Keith's contact? And I don't, but I had him as a Facebook friend which I know is a shock to you. I do actually know how to use Facebook, just a little bit, okay? And so, so, so I got up my phone, I sent a message to Keith and I said, Keith, dude, it's been like 20 years. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I have a total random question for you. Do you happen to be in Toby Mac's band now? If so, I'm at the concert. I think I just saw you on stage. I'd love to talk with you after the concert. And so I send him this message and thinking uh, he'll, he'll probably respond. If it's him, he'll respond back after the concert. 30 minutes later, my phone starts pinging. There was kind of a break where, where Keith kind of exited backstage and I get a message from Keith and, and Keith says, dude, it is so good to, see, to hear from you. I would love to see you, love to talk to you. By the way, do you have any kids with you here at the concert? So I message back, absolutely, me, my two kid boys are here and Pastor Marty's boys are here. And he's like, all right, now listen, at this song when it's played, I want you to come to the right of the stage and give them my name we're gonna get the boys to dance on the stage with Toby Mac. Yeah, and so I'm like, sweet. So I'm looking at the boys, hey guys, you wanna go dance with Toby Mac? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, listen, Keith, they didn't, my boys, in there, they didn't know Keith or anything like this. And so sure enough, the concert's getting near the end. This particular song goes up. Pastor Marty and I get up. We act like we know what we're doing, like we own the place. We walk up, you know, and all of a sudden we, in, we are introduced to what I'll call a Christian bouncer, Okay. <laughs> and I'm watching like, there's probably 20 to 30 other parents that are coming and they're all coming. Oh, we got, our, we got our ticket, our sheet of paper. You know, they paid a lot of money to go meet all the artists after the concert and their kids get to dance on stage with Toby Mac and they're like waving their ticket, you know, like we did it, we did it. We paid the extra money and I'm looking at them like, I don't have a ticket. And, and, and the bouncer was like, all right, who's got your ticket? Who's got your ticket? And sure enough, the people start giving their tickets and sure enough, they start being let back into this back room and we're kind of on the outside looking in. And finally, after everybody goes, he looks at me, he's like, where's your ticket? And I said, I don't have a ticket. I know Keith. He, he said, what do you mean? What do you mean you know Keith? I said, yeah, I know Keith. He said, how do you know Keith? I said, Keith and I, were, we were buddies back in school. We used to minister together at Liberty for two or three years. And, and you could just tell, like, the more this guy's asking questions, like, he's not buying it. 
And he's kind of at a rock and a hard place. Do I let this guy in or do I not, right? Well, about that time, as God is my witness, Keith walks off the stage, comes down, pats the Christian bouncer on the back and says, hey, bro, they're with me. And with no denial, no debate, no delay, no discussion, nothing else. Literally, he moved the kind of stanchion for us and we immediately were ushered back into the back room and then they gave us a brief tutorial. We came out, the boys got to go on stage, jump around and dance with Toby Mac in the grand finale. And then at the very end, we got to be backstage as we were meeting Matt Marr and Holland and several of the other artists along the way. Those boys are smiling too big with that pretty girl, okay? But, but the bottom line is this. We had no access to experience this. We didn't pay any extra money. We didn't even know that was an option. There was no way we could experience that. But on the basis of knowing the right person, we had an access that we otherwise would not have had. It was all because I knew Keith, who by the way, because of his authority and his position and because of what he does, who arranges all the brass charts for Toby Mac and their band, we immediately had access. In other words, we knew the right person. And I believe what God is calling us to see in 1 John is this. It's all about knowing Jesus. You may know some interesting and unique characters in your life. You may even know some famous people along the way. The Lord's allowed me in my life to know a few governors along the way and a few politicians from Alabama where I grew up. I've known a few football coaches along the way. You can know some unique and cool people in your life but they all amount to nothing if you don't know the only one that matters, and that's Jesus. First John chapter two, if you're physically able, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna read verse, verses one through six of first John chapter two. Here's what the Bible says. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have and the freedom that we have to gather in this place and open your word. I pray God right now that whatever boundaries and walls, whatever blinders we even have on right now, would you destroy them all so that you through your Holy Spirit might speak directly to our hearts and lives. I pray that you give us ears to hear, that we have eyes to see, that we have hearts to receive, that we'd have feet to respond in obedience to your leading. Have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Knowing Jesus. Really, it's all about who you know. You might know some cool people along the way, but the Bible tells us specifically of Jesus that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. So the question I'm really causing us to consider today is this. In your life, personally, do you know Jesus? Jesus. 
I'm not asking about your grandparents' faith. I'm not asking about your upbringing. I'm not asking about your heritage, your nationality, what kind of church you grew up in. I'm asking you personally, do you know Jesus? Not just about where he was born and that he died and that he rose again, but do you know him by experience in your life? Here in this passage of scripture, I believe that God is bringing us to an understanding that we can know him personally. We can have a relationship with him. This word of knowing is one of experience. It's one of closeness. It's one of intimacy. And each of us can have that in our life today. To help us understand that, John tells us three specific things about this relationship with Jesus. Number one, he tells us the price of relationship. The price of relationship. Because we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of God's glory, there is a price that had to be paid. There was a dramatic action. There was a sacrifice that had to be given in order that you and I could have a relationship with Christ today. And in 1 John chapter two, that's exactly what John begins to speak of. Now he starts off in a very interesting way. He says, my little children, these are those who have professed faith in Christ. These are those who are being discipled and ministered to, mentored by, by John, the disciple of Jesus. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Please understand this morning that John is not saying to us that we can be perfect this side of heaven, but he is speaking against those who would just say, well, I've got a sinful nature. I guess I'm a sinner. That's what I'm always going to do. Sometimes it can be easy for us to believe the lie that we cannot have victory over sin and therefore we easily condone it and we easily excuse it and we just say, well, I'm a sinner, that's what I'm going to do. And John says, no, 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 I'm writing to you to let you know you can have victory. You don't have to give in to that sin. You don't have to give in to the desires of your flesh. John Phillips said it this way, the believer is a born again person who's regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He's possessed of a new heart and he's a partaker of the divine nature. We have the means of victory over sin at our disposal. We have the Son of God to be our Savior, the Word of God to be our God, and the Spirit of God to indwell us and empower us. In other words, sin does not have to be the ongoing habit, the ongoing pattern, the ongoing lifestyle of our life. We can have victory. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, that sounds too good to be true because I don't have that victory right now. I am living in sin. There are things in my life that I just can't overcome. I can't defeat, I can't get beyond. I have sin in my life. Well, if that's you this morning, I want you to know, God has a message of good news for us to hear today and it starts with the price of relationship. I wanna say two things about Jesus and the price that he paid for us to have a relationship with him. Number one, I wanna say this, Jesus is our sufficient savior. Listen to this statement in verse one. And if anyone sins, if anyone sins, pause for just a moment. That anyone includes you and me. That anyone includes everyone. Sometimes we get so caught up in our past and what we've done and we feel, fr frankly deal with so much guilt and shame that we come to this place where we feel like God can never forgive me. Oh, that, that message is good for other people. You know, the good people that don't do the terrible things that don't have the past like me. Sometimes we get so caught up in our past. We think that God can never forgive us, save us and set us free. But the Bible says, if anyone sins, 
Sometimes we get so caught up in this message, frankly, of Phariseeism, where we get so caught up in legalism, where we think, you know what? This message is for all those people that are cleaning up their life. They're doing all kinds of good works, but, but I'm just not there yet. I haven't done those good works. I haven't cleaned up my life. This can't mean me, but I'm telling you, your good works can never save you or earn you God's grace. If anyone sins, that's every single one of us. Anyone includes you and it includes me. If anyone sins, listen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is awesome. When the Bible uses the word advocate, the word in the Greek is called paraclete. It literally means to come alongside of and to comfort. This word is the same word from which we get in the New Testament, our phrase for the name Holy Spirit. Literally, the picture here that God is giving us is of one who's being accused, of one who's being condemned, of one who's being rejected, and yet Jesus steps in, he comes alongside of, and he says, this one's with me. And that illustration of that concert, we were literally there. I mean, the music's going on. There's thousands of people behind us, hopefully looking at the stage and not looking at us. I'm looking at the intimidating Christian bouncer that I really don't want to pick a fight with, and I have no access and you can tell, like, he's, he's wanting to reject us. He's not wanting to receive us. And at one moment, Keith steps over and says, hey, bro, there with me. And instantly it settled. He was our advocate. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. If anyone sins, we have an advocate before the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous Jesus who never sinned. Jesus who never gave in to the pressures of the world. Jesus who never succumbed to the temptations of his flesh. Jesus who never gave in to the lies of the enemy. Jesus who never of his own cord chose to go a different way than the Father. Jesus the righteous, he's our advocate. I want you to picture for just a moment. Picture, if you will, that the throne of heaven was like a courtroom. And picture for just a moment that, that, that you or I, one of God's children, someone who, who knows Jesus, picture in that moment that we stumble, that we sin, that we go our own direction. We don't surrender to God's will. We go our own will. And there before the throne, here comes Satan. According to Revelation chapter 12, he's the accuser of the brethren, which means he's gonna lie to you, he's gonna lie about you, and he's gonna lie to God about you. Satan comes before the throne and he says, look at what this child does. Look at what they did. Look at this horrible thing. How could they possibly? And Jesus, like the defense attorney, raises his nail-scarred hand in objection and says, Father, this one's with me. Father, this one's been forgiven. Father, this one's been cleansed. For I paid the price. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is there before the Father as our advocate where he is interceding for us. And for all who believe in Jesus, all who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been forgiven, we have been cleansed, and we have been justified. That word justified is a legal term which means before God, we stand innocent. Our guilt has been clean. The charges against us have been wiped out. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. Which brings us to a second point. Jesus is our sufficient savior, but Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. Our substitutionary sacrifice. Romans chapter five, we'll talk about this in just a moment. Verses nine through 10 says it this way. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
Here in that phrase, that moment that we were saved from the wrath of God through Jesus. When you and I sin against God, without Christ, the Bible says, we are by nature children of wrath. Because we have sinned, we've fallen short of God's glory, we have a sinful nature, we by ourselves will experience the consequences of that sin. We will experience God's wrath. But the incredible news of the gospel is, Jesus experienced God's wrath for us so that we can be forgiven and set free. Listen to what the Bible says here in verse two. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's a weird word. I won't ask you to say it because you might say something you shouldn't say. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation literally means he is our appeasement. He is our satisfaction. He is the one who by his life and by giving his life on the cross, he has settled the account, if you will. He is the one who reconciled us. You and I have all fallen short of God's glory. You and I, just one sin calls us to stand before God guilty as charged and completely condemned. But when you and I were in our state of sin and our state of guilt, Jesus did the unthinkable. Now we would think that if somebody sinned against us, if somebody did something against us, by our logic, we would conclude that we would be frustrated, upset, hurt, and maybe even disgusted with that person. But God in his grace and mercy was not disgusted with us. Instead, he sent his own son to ultimately go to the cross to experience that wrath that was meant for us so that you and I might be set free. Romans chapter five says it this way. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. That's you and that's me. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, that's you and that's me. We live in a culture today that would say, oh, you're, you're not a sinner. It's not that bad. You're a pretty good person. No, God says all who have fallen short of his glory have sinned against him. And as a sin, as someone who's committed a sin, we are sinners the good news is that we don't have hope because of how good we are. The good news is not that we have hope because, hey, bless God, we live in America. The good news is not based upon our merit or our background or our upbringing. No, the good news is Jesus came and he himself was the payment and the appeasement for our sins. Here's how the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. You picture those images of Jesus on the cross and maybe watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and you see the suffering. Please understand, he did that for us in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The price of relationship. Jesus paid the greatest price possible as he gave his life for you and for me. But the second thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to see the promise of relationship. Someone says, Pastor, that, that sounds good that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That sounds great to know that we have an advocate with the Father, but that doesn't apply to me. I, I'm not good enough. That, that doesn't apply to me. You, you, you don't know my past. That, that doesn't apply to me. Like, I don't have the good works that, that, that so-and-so does. That doesn't apply to me. I, I don't look a certain way. Friend, I'm telling you, notice what the scripture says. This is awesome. 
He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and he continues, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Do you live in the world today? Yes. So does this include you? Yes. Jesus died for you. He offers relationship with you. There are some, sadly, in the context of the church world today who will say, well, Jesus died only for the elect, as if God favored some over others. But John says emphatically, Jesus is the payment for our sins, those who are in Christ, but not for ours only, but for the whole world. The entire context of the New Testament is telling us loud and clear that Jesus Christ died for all. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you've done it with. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your influence. It doesn't matter your wealth. It doesn't matter your name. Jesus has made a way and gives an incredible promise for all that we can have a relationship with him. In fact, that statement, it's a promise for all, is of, imp- is of great importance because Jesus tells us this, Paul tells us this, Peter tells us this, and now John tells us this. Listen to this in the New Testament, John three sixteen, Loud and clear, elementary. For God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses five through six. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for how many? All. all. He gave himself for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Paul goes on, 2 Corinthians chapter five. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for how many? All, all again, therefore all died. Notice, he died for all. He says it twice for emphasis in this verse. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The apostle Peter completely agrees. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for how many? All. All, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. And Peter would conclude in second Peter chapter three, verse nine with this statement. The Lord is not wishing for any to perish, but for all. all. Thank you very much on the front row. For all to come to repentance. You know what that means? I will never understand why, but God in his grace and his mercy wants a relationship with me. And he wants a relationship with you. Oh, I don't know if this one's chosen. I don't know if that one's chosen. God wants you to know him and to experience relationship with him and to enjoy the presence and the joy of eternal life. It's really that simple. This does not mean that all will be saved. However, it does mean that one's lack of salvation is not due to Christ's insufficient sacrifice or God's unwillingness to save them. One's lack of salvation is their own fault because they refuse to accept the gift of God's mercy and grace through faith in Jesus. In other words, God loves you. He's made a way for you to be saved. He invites you to a relationship with him. But if you refuse and one day you stand before God having never accepted his son, friend, I want you to know, you will have, and I don't mean this truly, but I mean it seriously, you will have no excuse. Because God gave you opportunity 
to hear the message. He gave you opportunity to understand the invitation. He gave you opportunity to say yes. But if you reject the only way to heaven, he has no choice but to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? The promise of relationship is for all, and this promise brings great assurance. Notice what he says in verse three. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this, we know that we have come to know him. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this expression before, but have you ever heard the expression, you can know that you know, right? You can know that you know. You can know, you can know that you know that Alabama's the best football team ever in the history of college football, right? Like you can know that you know. How do you know it? I'm kidding. The, the idea is one of certainty. I know they've got some Georgia fans and others who would protest that decision. Second and 26, that's all I'll say, right? I mean, I'm picking. Y'all awake with me this morning? The idea of knowing that you know is that you know with certainty because you experienced it. You were there. You know it happened. You know with certainty because it's not just a historical past, it's a continual present. I know that I'm married, not only because I stood before the altar of a church on June 21st, 2003, but because we continue in relationship today. You can know that you know some things. And what John says is this, you can know that you know Jesus. So do you have that certainty this morning? Have you experienced Jesus? Can you recall that specific time? You know when that relationship began. You know because you were convicted of sin. You knew in that moment, you might've been a child, you might've been a teenager, it might've happened yesterday for that matter, but you were in that moment where you knew you had sinned against God and you knew that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again. You remember that moment that you called upon Jesus to come into your life and save you of your sin. Have you had that experience? Because if you haven't had that experience, you might be depending upon your, your faith of, of your grandparents. You might be depending on your background. Well, I guess I've always been a Christian. I've grown up in church. I mean, I'm here today, aren't I? I mean, come on. But have you had that moment where you've repented of your sins and believed in Jesus? How do you know that you know? Because it's not just a situation of the past. You're continuing a relationship today. There's a hunger in your heart to know Jesus more today. There, there's, a, there's a desire in your life to be walking with Jesus today. We're gonna see a lot more evidences of that in 1 John, but the fact of the matter is, you can know that you know, as sure as you are that you are at Crossland Community Church right now or in your living room watching online, as sure as you are that you're sitting there, you can know that Christ is your Lord and Savior. But the third thing I want you to see, and we're gonna close with this final point really, is the proof of relationship. The proof of relationship. Many people in our culture say, yes, I'm a Christian. I've been to a church, I listen to a preacher online, I get really excited over you know, this worship song, I remember making a deal with God one day, I think God's always been there for me in my life, and so yes, I'm a Christian. But John does something interesting in verses three through six. He, he basically gives us what I'm gonna call a test, a series of tests. In fact, what John does is he basically says, I want you to examine three things in your life, and as you examine them, they're going to indicate whether or not you truly know Jesus. That was pretty simple. It's like John's given us, oh, hang on, hang on, I know this is, this is hard, a pop test, <laughs> right? My, my kids, they'll come home from school, how was your day? Oh, I had a pop quiz. <laughs> you know, like, 
World's falling apart, I had a pop quiz. How many questions? Five. They were multiple choice, it was horrible. And I'm like, how bad can it be, right? John gives us a series of tests. And to make it even easier, he's like basically saying, okay, answer yes or no. Check the box, okay, it's really simple. I've got good news for you. I realize when people hear pop tests, a little bit of anxiety comes on, right? Like, ugh. Some of you have been out of school for a long time. You're like, I, I hate tests. I'm so thankful I'm never doing them again, right? I, 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 if you're there, I totally get it. I'd rather write 100 papers than to take a single test. I mean, I don't know. It's just how my brain works, but I don't like tests. Here's the good news. I'm gonna ask you in a moment, grab a pen, cheat a paper if you got one, worship guide. If not, just take a mental process of yeses or noes. And here's the good news. I'm not gonna ask you at the end to take your test and pass it to the person next to you, okay? We're not gonna grade each other's papers here today. This is a test between you and God. And I just wanna let you in on a little secret. God already knows the answers. So, so if you lie to me, first off, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a school teacher, okay? Thank God for those of you who are and your gifts and your calling. You are so patient and we need to be praying more for you, especially during this season, but man, thank you. So, so if, you, if you lie, if you, if you fudge the answers a little bit, it's between you and God, but God knows the answers already. John gives us three tests to consider. And I'm calling the proof of our relationship. Why? Because talk is cheap. We can claim all sorts of things, but what, if what we claim is true, it will be seen in our actions. And so here are the three tests. Number one, there's the lie test. The lie test. Here's the question. Answer yes or no. Do you... Obey Jesus' commandments. Simple question, isn't it? Do you obey Jesus' commandments? Listen to what John says in verse three. By this, we know that we have come to know him. How do we know? If we keep his commandments. For the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So Pastor Matt, are you tell me I'm a liar? God is speaking through John and John says, if you profess to know Jesus, but you're not obeying his commandments, then you are lying. You're lying frankly to God and lying to yourself. You're deceiving your own self. Do you obey Jesus's commandments? Many will say, well, yes, I know Jesus. I feel his presence with me. I remember when I had this moment years ago. I remember when I made a bargain with God. I remember growing up and hearing my grandfather preach. I remember feeling excited when grandmama would sing those old hymns way back when. But John's question is this, loud and clear. Do you obey Jesus's commandments? Obedience to the Lord is a chief characteristic to those who truly are followers of Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. James 1, says it this way. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude or deceive themselves. In other words, if you claim to be a Christian but continue to live a life of disobedience to the Lord, you are fooling yourself. Do you obey Jesus's commandments? Commentator John Phillips said it this way. Does this mean that we're always gonna obey? No. Does it mean we're never gonna fall short? No, but here's what he said. The general attitude and tenor of the life of the believer is one of obedience, while the general attitude and tenor of the life of the unbeliever is one of disobedience and self-will. So really it boils down to this question. Are we living for self-will or for God's will? Are we seeking to obey God's commandments or are we seeking to do our own thing? Do you obey Jesus' commandments? 
Now remember, there's no judgment here. I'm just asking you the questions that John is asking and I want you to kind of give inventory of your life and really be honest with God. Do you obey his commandments? It's a lie test. Secondly, is what we'll call the love test. This is not, do you love me, yes or no, right? What ultimately John is getting to is this. He's getting beyond the do you obey Jesus' commandments and he's really getting to why do you obey? John's kind of digging a little deeper here and he's, what he's getting to is he's getting to the motives behind our obedience. Notice what he says in verse four. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Jesus, we experience a love of God in our heart and life and the love of God in our heart and life being perfected is that which matures us. It's that which uh, uh, motivates us towards obedience. It's like John's looking at us and asking, okay, so you say you obey, great, that's awesome. But why do you obey? Do you obey because you have to, you need to, or you want to? Now, let me illustrate it maybe in just a simple way as best I can. The, the Lord's blessed my wife and I now that we have four children, 16, 14, 12, and 10. And you can almost see this in the context of their development. When they're really young, children often obey because they have to. If they don't obey, they're gonna be uh, sent in a timeout. Or if they don't obey, they're gonna have to take a nap. Or if they don't obey, if it's something dangerous, they might get their little hand popped. Or if they, if they don't obey, you know, like, like there's consequences that come. And so as a little child, they will often do the right thing and obey because they know they have to. But then as they get a little older, late elementary, middle schoolish age, maybe even high school, some are still in this phase in their life for that matter, they begin to obey because they need to. Well, if I don't obey, mom and dad aren't gonna let me go hang out with my friends. They're not gonna let me have my video game time. You know, like if I don't obey, I'm not going to experience this amazing blessing. So it goes from the consequence oh, I've got to or I'm gonna get in trouble to now I've got to because I wanna get to enjoy what I want to enjoy. Like in our, in our lives, it's easy for, well, I've gotta obey God or else I'm gonna have the consequences of it. And not, sometimes we go a step beyond that. Well, we obey God because we want his blessings. We want his favor. I'm obeying because of what I get out of it. But there's another step of maturity that takes place when a child begins to understand, wait a second, Mom and dad love me. They're looking out for me. And as a result of that, like they can look back and trust and say, you know what? I want to honor my parents. I want to love my parents. I want to respect them. And as a result, their obedience comes from not because they have to, not because necessarily they need to, but now they want to because they love their parents. Here's a thought. They honor their parents. God's looking at us in a very similar way and he's saying, listen, why do you obey? Is it motivated by love or not? Are we merely obeying God because we don't want his wrath? Are we merely obeying God because we want all the blessings? Or are we obeying God because we love him? We want to honor him. We want to respect him. We want to please him. The question of the test is this, number two, is your obedience motivated by love? Yes or no? Pretty simple. Is your obedience to God motivated by love? By the way, 1 John chapter 5, verse three, that's why the Bible would say to us, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. 
oh, but this commandment is burdensome. God, I feel like you're so restricting me. No, no, no. When we understand that God's commandments are there because he loves us, he knows what's best for us, and he wants to give us the abundant, eternal, and full life, we begin to realize, man, it's an honor to obey God. It's an honor to walk in his commandments because we love him. The question is, is your obedience motivated by love? The true follower of Jesus doesn't obey because they're afraid of God's wrath if they step out of line. They don't obey simply because they need to do so in order to get what they want. The true follower of Jesus obeys because he wants to honor God and show his love for him. Third test. First off, how you doing? Y'all all right? Some of you are like 50-50, I don't know, man. <laughs> the lifestyle test. The lifestyle test. John just says it simply, verse six. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. The one who says, I'm in relationship with Jesus. I know Jesus. I am abiding with Jesus is the picture here. Here's how you'll know. They look like Jesus. They love like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. You'll see it in their lifestyle. Not because they're manufacturing this and not because they're just outwardly doing these things and they have all these good works that seem to be clearly. No, it's because of their connection to Jesus that Jesus' life is being lived through them. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. Picture the illustration. He's talking about abiding in him and he's giving this picture of the branches and their connection to the vine. And here's what he says. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The branch does not have life in and of itself. The branch can do nothing in and of itself. But as the branch is connected to the vine, the life of that vine flows through to those branches. And because of that, here in the next few weeks, on the ends of those branches that are connected to the vine, guess what you're gonna see? You're gonna see some leaves, and then you're gonna see some beautiful blooms, and then you have all kinds of sinus issues and allergies and pollens, right? I'm just kidding. Then there's gonna be fruit. All that which is life and health and beautiful, all those things come, not because of the branch, but because the branch is connected to the vine. Do you know Jesus? Because if you do, you're connected to Christ. And as you abide in him, his life is going to work through you to produce fruit in your life. What does that fruit look like? Galatians 5, it is that of the fruit of the spirit. It is of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now listen to the statement. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, John says it simply, if you belong to Jesus, you ought to walk and live like Jesus. Here's the third question of the test. Simply, does your life reflect Jesus? Yes or no? Do you obey Jesus' commands? Is your obedience motivated by love? And does your life reflect Jesus? You're not gonna pass a paper to a friend. 
Can I be honest with you? God knows the answers and he knows where you stand. And truth be told, in our heart of hearts, we probably know where we stand today as well. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Can I just say to you this morning, if you don't, you can. You can. You can know Jesus personally as your Savior. You can know without a doubt that heaven is your home. You can know with absolute certainty that your sins are forgiven. You can know Jesus today. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as you experience that amazing gift of salvation, you begin that relationship with Jesus. Friend, I wanna tell you, it will be the greatest joy and the greatest pursuit of your life as you keep walking with him and growing in relationship with him and as he keeps working to mold you and shape you to be more like Christ. The question is simply this, do you know Jesus? The fact of the matter is, sadly, there will be many who played church for a long time this is really sad, but it's a true statement. There will be many preachers, Christian leaders, one day who stand before God. Based upon their good works, all they did with their life, they're going to assume they're fine. But Jesus says, but on that day, I'm gonna to say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Bottom line is we can fool a lot of people, including ourselves, but we can't and we will never fool God. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, I invite you today to come and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if you do know Jesus, may today's message be a call to a closer relationship and to further obedience in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for this time together. I thank you for... Uh, my buddy Keith, I thank you for the illustration of how he really was our advocate in that moment and we had an access that we didn't deserve and we didn't earn, but it was only by the basis of who he was. And, and it serves as a powerful picture for us today to know that we don't have access to heaven, we don't have access to eternal life, we don't have access to victory of our sin in and of ourselves. But by the name, by the authority, by the work of Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be saved. We can know that heaven is our home and we can walk in victory today. So we praise you for that. God, I pray right now that if there's anyone here today that is not certain of that relationship with you, I pray right now that you would confirm in their heart that you love them. That you would confirm in their, their heart that in your grace and your mercy, you have given them an opportunity today to accept you. God, regardless of our motivations for why we came to this building in this place today, I pray that we would see it all right now as a personal invitation to know Jesus Christ and to be saved from our sins. So God, right now, you know the answers to the questions. You know how we did, so to speak, on the test. So God, I pray that we'd be honest with you. 
God, right now, for those who don't know, don't know Christ, who are not saved, I pray right now they would turn to you. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.